When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on fire etiquette, writing thank yous for boxes with several small gifts, junior and senior titles, and asking for more information when you're invited to a gathering during a pandemic. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your question is about how to hint without hinting that your family actually has a ring available for your future your engagement. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript where we discuss one, two, three, gratitude. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, cuz. How's it going? It's going. It's going. Not Tied to our sponsorship last month from Amazon, you and I had a um, an Alexa etiquette moment this morning yes, when I was did. answering the phone and, and trying to shut off my um, yeah my morning news via my smart speaker, and it was really funny. <laughs> Okay, so we should cue our listeners in. This all began with a call that I initiated and I caught Lizzie up to something in her house. And shortly after the phone was picked up, I heard Alexa off. And what just hit me like a ton of bricks was it was it sounded like me talking to the Alexa in my kitchen. And (laughs) I've noticed this particular tone of voice that I take. And there are all sorts of reasons for it that oftentimes when you're – turning the Alexa off, something is playing. So you're kind of speaking over it. And usually it's a point where your patience has finally gotten to that that (laughs) moment where you just don't want it anymore. So there's also a little bit of something behind it, as well as the practical reason of I need her to hear me and hear this command. (laughs) But I just found myself saying, is this a thing? Is this like, is there something in the nature of this relationship with this AI that that particular command ends up being very commanding. That's the Dan version to the podcast audience. What I got on the phone was, oh my gosh, you so yell at Alexa the same way I do. Okay. <laughs> and that then launched into me being defensive about why I yell at Alexa. But it was funny. It got us to talk about it, and it's a good etiquette point. I often always say please when I'm asking Alexa to turn on. And usually, for me, it's typically, you know, that I'm asking for um, for the, the smart speaker to turn on the radio for me mm-hmm. um and and that's like the most common thing that that i use it for <laughs> and so when i'm doing that or or to set a timer 
I set a lot of timers and I always do that by saying whatever I need to say and then saying, please. But when I'm trying to shut Alexa off, I struggle a lot more. And Dan calling me out, basically, or I guess commiserating—not commiserating, but uh, but identifying with me—it <laughs> um, made me realize that when I'm trying to shut Alexa off, if it's because a phone call is coming in, it adds the urgency. Sure. Which can change my tone. The point that you made about the volume being up, and I tend to listen to the radio loudly, so I've got to get my volume up loud enough for the smart speaker to recognize that I'm talking to it. And then I've noticed that I I speak it really quickly the first time through, and it'll often be, you know, uh, Alexa off, please, or Alexa off. And it's too fast for it to pick it up. Because I'm rushing, I'm trying to get it off to answer the phone or because I have answered the phone. But I've also noticed that I I do it two different ways. With you, because you're a familiar in my life, I'm willing to answer the call to answer the call quickly and then yell off to the smart speaker, Alexa, off, to which I should add a please. But when it's other people calling, I will try to get the smart speaker off before I actually answer the phone. So it's a little bit of like, I know, but it's not really that polite to you, is it? (laughs) Like, because you get me answering the phone, Alexa, off. Hey, Dan. (laughs) Like... But it is funny, you know, I notice that I drop the please often when I have to have the command be clearer because I'm not speaking it as clearly for the AI. It's it's interesting, just stuff stuff like that. It's and Dan, what is our advice on on AI etiquette? <laughs> it's evolving and <laughs> I think about it a couple different ways. For me, I'm often in the kitchen with my girls. Yeah. And there's I, – I think to myself about the impact of them just hearing me use that tone, be yep. that commanding or demanding depending on how you think you of it. it. Yeah. Um, I think about the effects that it has internally, psychologically. Obviously, Alexa's feelings aren't hurt and <laughs> at the same time, is there a programming going on in me that's making me more comfortable talking like that or <laughs> you know, what, what is that impact on, on me, on my girls as well as – just the the quality of the space because I'm, I'm not as worried about my relationship with that AI, although I maybe should be. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you're, you, you're obviously aware of it because, as you said, you want to model good behavior for your girls or not just model but exhibit good behavior for your girls. But it's an interesting dynamic. It was not one that I had been experiencing in my home until – um, we got Alexa as a sponsor. Um, I knew and you would I, love it because I know. I knew. And as I was saying, like this isn't this isn't a part of our sponsorship, but this was just us really kind of d- having a moment personally about how we identify with with using this device in our homes and talking about and thinking about etiquette all the time. But it is funny. I it, it just like using the voice to text features, the dictation features on your phone. It makes me realize how I pronounce things, how I say things, how I slur things together quickly, you know, the, the fact that I do speak quickly a lot of the time, things like that. Having to engage with a device this way um, using voice command really does, it makes me think and reflect a lot more about my own behavior. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Does anyone else just picture excellent? <laughs> 
In my best Mr. Burns voice. Yeah, I don't have a good Mr. Burns voice, but I always tap in the fingers for you. Oh, well, AI aside, do you think we should answer some of our human listener questions? I think that sounds like a great idea. Awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we're at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about ember etiquette. Dear Dan and Lizzie, having just had the winter down here in the southern hemisphere and with your northern season heading into the fall, I wanted to raise several burning questions to do with fire etiquette. I'm a longtime admiring listener, and I can't remember you talking about this before. I love welcoming my guests into a cozy room with a blazing fire on chilly evenings. A lot of people no longer have fires or stoves in their homes, and in my experience, this adds to their enjoyment. However, some guests assume it's okay to grab a poker and start smashing away at the hot coals, which is irritating as it's messy and ruins a good fire as it radiates less heat when the coals fall down into the grate. I was brought up to never interfere with the fire in another person's home unless invited to by the host. Another issue was people using up all the kindling, grabbing several days' worth of twigs and branches needed to start a fire, and up in flames it goes all at once. 
I collect these when walking the dog and during yard work, and they may literally grow on trees, but collecting them is actually a chore. Few people seem to appreciate this, and when I bring up that they're wasting a resource, they might say, Oh, I'm sorry, I'll collect you some more tomorrow. They never do. I've taken to hiding my supply. As far as I am aware, it's only good etiquette to touch somebody else's fire, either when your host is absent from the room and logs shift and need adjusting, or a hot coal rolls out onto the floor, or they indicate that you can do so. Am I being controlling? I would love to know what your point of view is on this, and any other advice that might also include etiquette for fire pits, bonfires, and campfires. Thank you both so much for all your friendly guidance during this difficult time. Best wishes, Guy. Guy, this is such good etiquette advice. Seriously, this I I, I feel like you're writing it for us. This could be um, the original etiquette advice, right? right? As people yeah, sat yeah, around no. the fire. So the only time that I have ever, I, that I think we've ever talked about fires is when we read the section on how to bungle a dinner party from the 1922. It jumps and to Mrs., mind. Yeah, Mrs., uh, Mrs. Newlywed, that's who's throwing the party. She tries to light the fire, forgets to open the flue, and smokes out the entire living room. Obviously bad etiquette. But it's like that kind of stuff we never talk about. So would a guest try and stoke a fire that's dying? You know, what if they want to light one? What about in houses where guest rooms might have a fireplace or someone's coming to use your house for the weekend? Uh, we've never really talked about that kind of stuff before. And this is a great opportunity to do so. Absolutely. And implied in that example you just gave is the idea that a newly arrived hostess establishing herself would want a crackling fire in the fireplace awaiting the guests. Yeah, then it's warm, inviting, that it's a, a treat, a part of that cozy, wonderful winter lifestyle or just comforting lifestyle. Um, and I like also that that guy is, is extending this to, you know, campfires and bonfires as well. The big overall arching point um, that you bring up is I was brought up to never interfere with the fire in another person's home unless invited to do so by the host. Bam, that's the big point. And I would extend that to whomever either started or organized the bonfire or campfire that, that you're on. And I, I say think about it as organized in case someone's stepping out of turn and trying to start a bonfire that's not yet ready to be lit or that a host hasn't, you know, indicated to do so with. I think those those sorts of things are really important to pay attention to. But I like the fact, Dan, tell me if I'm wrong, that guys saving room for cases where the host might not be in the room and something might happen with the fire that you should really deal with simply because it's a fire hazard at that point and an ember sparking out into the room or something like that. Um, rolling out into the room, I think is definitely something where you grab the tongs, you grab whatever you can that's not going to ignite as you touch it and get it back into the fireplace. Well, and, and thus begins the host guest dance. Oh. Is there anything I can help with? Oh, could you keep an eye on the fire? I've got a bunch of stuff I've got to tend to in the kitchen and I, I want to be sure it catches. Could you throw uh, the next size log on when it gets going or something like that? I, I could I could see so many. You couldn't even count them all. Possibilities for really delightful host guest exchanges around something as engaging as a fire. And of course, saying that makes me also think instantly, of course, safety first. Um, as a host, you always want to intercede if there's something people should know oh i don't have the 
this chimney clean that frequently? We really shouldn't start a fire right now. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any of a number of things. There are kids around telling people, you know, setting the boundaries that a host should set responsibly, I think is an important part of hosting if you're talking about something potentially dangerous. And that's fire falls into that category. I think as a guest, you also want to look at the circumstances. So if you're in someone's home and there's a, a beautifully laid fire ready, you know what I mean, for lighting, where you can see they've got paper and kindling and logs and matches all set up to go because the fire will probably be lit sometime later in the evening. That's sort of one circumstance. But to a to an empty fireplace or even a fireplace that might have something in place of a fire right now, you know, like some people put candles or um, or things like that in in the spot and and they remove them when they then decide to actually use the fireplace. It's really not your place as a guest to just jump in and try to make the fire then happen. I think it's it's like a, you have to kind of look at that circumstance and and what's going on in it. I also think that we all know or have the buddy who really wants to tend the fire. There's there's something about it Here that some people just really get into, right? How would you treat a guest who was like kind of want to either egging you on to light a fire and have a fire in the fireplace or to be the one asking, like kind of wanting to take care of it, you know, like making all those offers that you kind of wish they'd stop making, <laughs> In my mind, I'm putting away the wishing they'd stop making. And yep. even if it's true, I'm thinking to myself, boy, I've got a guest. And if there is something that will engage them and they will be happy doing it and um, it's not going to negatively impact anyone else. There's not someone else. Like, boy, I, I was wanted say, to do the fire. <laughs> um, and, and part of building that trust might be that, oh, that'd be so great. Let me tell you about our fire pit, grill, stove, fireplace. Flu, yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> and, and put the parameters on it as a host yeah. that you need to to feel comfortable. But if you can, turn them loose. It's like finding the CD that everyone likes at the party. Boy, I'm dating myself now. <laughs> you did just hear that, folks. You didn't even say playlist or offer up a specific artist. <laughs> But but it is one of those moments. If your guest is going to love it, you just you just succeeded. You're a host and you won. And it's not a, it's not a competition, obviously, but good work. Totally. I'm also really interested in the dynamic around the kindling. And to I, me, that's where I was going to go next. <laughs> it's a very specific example of good hosting to not expose yourself in a way that you'll be upset about later on. That if yeah. there is a shared resource that for whatever reason might be attractive to people, you can say no, but you can also put it away. And there's nothing wrong with that or deceitful about that. I know people that adjust their liquor cabinets before certain parties. and You're not hiding, you're storing. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense in some circumstances. So I, I would think about it like that. I would think about it as providing appropriate opportunities and not setting yourself up for losses, I guess, that, that you wouldn't want to take. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's an easy way to feel like you're taking back control. Um, I think sometimes in our own home, we can almost feel incredibly uncomfortable, both wanting to provide for our guests and their enjoyment and their enthusiasm, 
but also being nervous about our supply and the things we bring in and what we do, you know? Um, and one thing you really don't want as a host is to feel uncomfortable in your own home. And if having that entire supply out and watching it deplete fast at the, the hands of guests makes you uncomfortable, then I think storing it away or only leaving out what you would be comfortable having used for the evening is an absolutely smart way to go. No fine china at the children's table. You got it. Guy, thank you so much for giving us a chance to answer this burning question about fire etiquette uh, in people's homes and around bonfires and campfires. And we hope that everyone stays safe and can enjoy the fire. Fire handled carelessly may cause trouble. It's a good thing that mother is close by and can come to the rescue. As long as we keep fire under control, it serves us well. Our next question is titled, Small Gifts, Big Thank You. Dear AE team, thanks for carrying on strong with your wonderful, engaging podcast despite all the extra challenges this year. I have a question for you about thank you notes for gifts, which are actually a collection of small gifts. Recently, I've been delighted to receive packages in the mail from two different friends. Each contained a marvelous assortment of small, thoughtfully chosen gifts. None of these gifts were individually stunning or valuable, but the sum experience of opening each little goodie was truly fun. For example, in one of the boxes, a friend sent a handful of sample-sized cosmetics, a natural bristled veggie cleaning brush, a simple pair of gloves, some small blank labels, a facial sponge, some foreign coins mounted on a card, and a handwritten note. My question is, how do you thank someone for a gift that is an assortment of gifts? It feels cumbersome to list each item individually. So in this case, I wrote to her, what a pleasure to find your box of gifts on our doorstep from the hand-colored barcode on the outside to the bento tidy wrapping and packaging and the goodies themselves. I took my time unwrapping each and thinking of your hands wrapping each and feeling more connected in that way. The only thing I haven't opened yet are the gloves. I'm waiting until colder weather, as you suggest. And then my note went on with a bit of personal update. Do you have any suggestions on this? Thank you so much. Blessed to receive. Blessed to receive. Thank you for the question. And my only and best advice is to keep writing thank you notes like this. <laughs> I love the exchange. I love the thought yeah. and care that these people are showing you assembling these little packages or these... I guess, medium-sized packages full of little gifts. <laughs> and I love the way you are clearly enjoying it, are touched and moved by it, and are expressing yourself. That is the that is absolutely the heart of a good thank you. And as I was reading or hearing Lizzie read the start of this question, I was thinking about some of the sample thank you notes of Emily's that we've read over the years mm -hmm. from the 1922 edition. And she had such a deft touch for – thanking people in a way that would make them feel special. She would find a particular quality to the gift that spoke to their relationship. So it wasn't mm -hmm. ooing and aahing about the thing itself as much as how the thing represents their connection. And you've really done that. By the time we got to your sample script, I was thinking to myself, boy, this, this sounds like something Emily might write. So right? yay. <laughs> I feel like this is a great example of how you can, I think, go into a little bit more depth with your thank you notes as well. You know, really, really talking about 
what it made you feel to get that gift or, or how connected it makes you feel. And I'm guessing that this is the type of language that these friends use with one another, you know, and your, your way of doing it might be different, but it's the idea of it's not just thank you for the gift, but it's like, wow, the packaging was beautiful or wow, that gift just, that surprise gift just couldn't have come on a, on a better day. Like I, I really needed a pick me up and that just really was incredibly beyond anything I could have hoped for. You know, expressing that there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, and I think that it gets more to what Dan always talks about when we talk about gift giving and receiving, which is that generosity of spirit and valuing that. And it's not that you aren't identifying the fact that gifts were a part of it, even though there's a lot of focus on the packaging and how you felt receiving it and what it made you think of. But I think when there are so many little treats like that, you've done very well in your example of highlighting a few of them so that the giver really knows that you did open everything and see it all, and yet also not listing out each individual thing. It's just a beautiful note. It's a beautiful thank you note. The description bento tidy jumps out to me. I know. (laughs) It's It's great. It's such a great image. It's such evocative writing. And putting that kind of effort into something shows. And maybe that's not a big effort for you. Maybe you're a naturally good writer like that. But Mm -hmm. um, if you are, lean on that. And if there is effort that goes into it, it reads. And and that'll touch people and read as part of the thank you. So blessed to receive. We are blessed to receive this question. Thank you so much for sending it. I think that's a good thank you note. Now, that's a pretty good example of the sort of thing that makes a letter a lot of fun. Our next question comes from Anonymous, who wonders, does the title change after a passing? Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My question is when two people have the same name, calling themselves junior and senior. If the junior one dies, does the senior continue to use the senior after his name? Thank you, Anonymous. Anonymous, this is a flip on how we typically get this question, which is when the senior passes, does the junior become the senior and a third become a junior? Or do you just stop using the junior because the senior has passed now and you don't need a distinction between the two? And Dan, before we dive into our, our twist on the que- that our question asker has given us, what's the traditional answer here? So the, the lay of the land is that when a senior dies, it's really up to the junior whether they want to retain the title of junior or drop it. And oftentimes someone's been known as junior their whole life and it's part of the identity. It's part of how people think of them and if it's something they like and enjoy or just want to continue, it's absolutely up to them. Many people drop the junior. Oftentimes that junior-senior distinction is thought of as just helping keep track of who's who in a family where people share the same name. It's it's functional as much as it is a, a title that's honorific in some way. Um, but having said that, it, it really is up to the discretion of the typically junior to decide whether or not they want to continue to use it. So with that as our standard advice for kind of the the typical way that this goes, should a junior pass before a senior, our guess is that you would have the same advice going, that if someone was really known as a senior, if it was was a part of their their name their entire life and, and leaned on heavily, you might choose to keep it to separate the distinction from the late junior to the senior who is still living. But again, you could also probably just drop using it. Um, 
the places where I think it's really helpful to keep using the titles that you've always had are are when you drop further down and and you've got thirds and fourths as well, which which do happen from time to time. And one thing that's important to note as well is that thirds and fourths don't become juniors and thirds when someone passes. Um, everyone kind of keeps the number that they've stayed at. Dan, w- will you fill us in just because we're in this space of titles on seconds? Because they're a little different from everybody else. Seconds are a little bit different and that you might assume that a junior would be considered a second. The junior, mm-hmm. by definition, having the exact same name as the senior. That includes middle name as well as the spelling of the name. And that oftentimes the third is, again, the exact same spelling of that same name. Th- there is a logical thought that says, oh, the second proceeds in that chain, and it actually doesn't. It's not that direct line of patrilineal descent that defines the second. Oftentimes, second is used when someone shares a name with someone else in the family that they're close to, but not their parent. So uh, an uncle, a cousin, a grandfather even, sometimes when that name has been handed down within the family, but it's not a relationship with a parent and a child, the second comes into play as the title that's used. Oh, names and titles and lineage. There's there's so much so much kind of fun etiquette geek out stuff to do in this space. Anonymous, thank you for giving it, us a chance to do so. And if you want a refresher of this information, definitely visit us at emilypost.com. Dan, what can they search for to get to this article directly? You know, I was delighted that a Google search for do you drop the junior when senior passes got us to emilypost.com with a really clear answer to this question. There you have it, Anonymous. Thank you again. We hope our answer helps. Our next question is titled, More Information? Question mark, And it came to us via text message. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I hope this finds you in good health and spirits. I've been invited by a college friend to her wedding in mid-December. There's not a lot of details regarding the number of guests and social distancing measures on the invitation. I'd also be flying from Chicago to the East Coast in order to attend. I'm on the fence about this. I want to make sure everyone is safe and still having fun because, well, Indian weddings are awesome. Agreed. But is it okay? I was going to say, we know this. But is it okay to ask for details to make an informed decision in the age of COVID-19? Thanks for your help, Vidi. Vidi, thanks for the question. I am thinking about this in two ways. One is I would encourage you to be a detective. Um, I know that Lizzie and I would probably advise people to keep information on an invitation itself pretty um, minimal, but we would encourage people to think about other ways to share that information to include an insert along with the invitation or directions to a wedding website where a lot more detail can be provided, especially for out-of-town guests. And I would start to nose around in all of those places first to try to find out as much as you possibly can in the places where people share extra information. After that, I would absolutely call and ask a question, and I would do that ahead of your RSVP. And you do it just the way you posed it to us, that you're just trying to get a little bit more information so you can make a good decision. 
How does that sound, Lizzie Bose? <laughs> Do you have a sample script? Thoughts? I was gonna say because um, this might be really neat and tidy. I could just take I could take this question off. I think you've got it going. No, but I think you you do what you can. Just like you said, you look on the wedding website. Um, if nothing has come, I would say you know as a as a follow up, or if there was nothing in the enclosure, um, I, I could imagine some folks are sending information out once they know that someone is coming. Uh-huh. But I think for a lot of people, though, they're probably in your situation, VD, where you're trying to gather this information to decide if you can say yes to the wedding or not. In terms of a sample script, in terms of making that phone call, doing that outreach once you've done all the, the detective work, I think just letting someone know, oh, I was so excited to receive your invitation. Um, I'm trying to figure out all the logistics. And of course, as you can imagine, during this pandemic, one of the questions I have um, is about safety. I was wondering if I could talk to you about that. If you don't want to use the word safety, maybe measures you're taking or precautions or COVID considerations might be other words or, or things you might substitute in there. But I think, as Dan always says, ask permission to have the conversation. And, and you usually get pretty far. Um, it might even spur this couple to actually put some information up on their wedding website if they haven't done so or something like that. You never know. <laughs> I was glad to hear you take a shot at that sample script because it reminded me how important it is to express how much you appreciate being invited, how excited you are for them, that – just a little bit of that to set the tone is going to go a long way. Vidi, we hope that you're able to gather the information that you need to make a decision you feel comfortable with. But either way, we hope that you do get to celebrate, even if it's via Zoom. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are awesomeetiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we're hearing from Carla on episode 317 and the question titled Food with Friends. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks for another great episode of Awesome Etiquette. I truly can't get enough. Longtime listener, first time caller, if you will. I wanted to throw my two cents in regarding the situation anonymous Rachel found herself in when Monica offered to bring a dish and Phoebe didn't. My first thought was that since it was a small casual lunch with friends, that couldn't have been too elaborate. Rachel could have simply declined the offer when Monica offered to bring a dish, specifically to avoid the awkwardness that was bound to happen with Phoebe. Alternatively, if she felt inclined to accept the offer from Monica, I think I would have sent another email to both girls and found a way to set up Phoebe for success by saying something like, Oh, hi again. Monica was hoping to share her new favorite, insert whatever adjective is appropriate here, 
recipe with us. So I thought maybe we could all share a new favorite, again, insert favorite adjective, recipe at lunch that day. No pressure. Just thought it might be a fun spin on our girls' lunch. Can't wait to see you guys. Thanks again for your show. Carla. Okay, the part about this that I really love is where Carla then says, no pressure, just it thought it might be a fun spin on our girls' lunch. Can't wait to see you guys. I like I like the idea of that, like, if you want to, go for it. Anything like that where you kind of prompt the other person to feel welcome to join in, even though they haven't, you know, offered in and of their own sort of accord. I think it's I think it's a good way to go. I also like the permission to decline when someone offers to bring something. Yes. And you can do that for any reason. It was so simple. And I was saying, did we ever mention that in the question? And I don't think we did. (laughs) I can't remember. (laughs) Carla, thank you for the feedback. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, or you can leave us voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And this week, we're going to take a closer look at gratitude. We are going to look at gratitude. We read this cool article on Inc.com, that's INC.com, and it's titled, You've Been Saying Thank You All Wrong. Here's How to Do It Right. Turns out that UC Berkeley's Emiliana Simon Thomas has this gratitude one, two, three strategy for really maximizing a thank you. And in many ways, Dan, the article reminded me of the difference between getting a kid to say, like, thanks, you know, kind of like begrudgingly under their breath and getting someone to actually say like a really thoughtful thank you that describes why whatever it was that was done for them was so impactful and and really sharing that appreciation and gratitude. But I thought that these were were three really effective points for what makes a really good thank you and to me this was perfect awesome etiquette fodder. <laughs> well, I'm curious. Definitely gratitude is a theme on this show. So, let's go through the points. <laughs> All right. So the first thing that um, Emiliana says is that you want to be specific about what you're saying thank you for, right? And that that coincides very much so with our thank you note advice, where that middle that middle section of the thank you note is straight up thank you for the such and such. But I I love kind of what she talks about with it. She says that. What we're bad at is expressing our gratitude with enough specificity to really reap the benefits of the felt experience ourselves and to draw out the strongest response from the person we're saying thank you to. So to get the most out of a thank you, you want to begin by saying specifically what you're thanking the other person for. For example, instead of just saying, hey, thanks, Dave, that was great, you could say, Dave, thank you for inviting me to be on the show with you. And that puts you and the person you're thanking into this sort of shared mental space. Both of you actually thinking about the thing itself. I absolutely love it. And as is often the case, I love it because it affirms something that I like to do. 
which is always start a thank you note with a s- explicit and specific thanks for the thing you're thanking the person for. It's something that people forget to do. And totally. it's it's fundamental. So I, I like it in the lead and I like it as a lead point here. I mean, for something like a gift, instead of thanks so much for the birthday gift, thank you so much for the specific gift. It might even jog the person's memory as, oh, that's right. I sent them that. <laughs> and we could all use a little bit of that once in a while. Dan, what's our second point? So the second point in the gratitude one, two, three is to acknowledge the effort involved. And that's the effort involved on the other party's part to do the thing that you're thanking for, not your effort (laughs) issuing the thank you. I think that's a good distinction to make just in case. And it's funny because this is not part of my usual thank you script. So I was I was thinking about it, but it still resonates with advice we give on this show, which is that even if you can't thank them for the thing itself, we often say thank someone for the effort, for the thought that those are those are important parts of the gift giving exchange. But I love the idea of making that an explicit part of all thank yous because it, it it's not a secondary element. It, it's really important. Yeah. So. You know, I really appreciate you doing this for me. It, even if it's not a, a tangible gift that you're thanking someone for, is a really important part of the thank you. It, it, I know this. I know your Saturdays are precious to you, and or, I really appreciate yeah, this it. This took time. Thank you. Yeah, whatever. Whatever it is, acknowledging that time and effort, it, it is so key. You know me so well. Thank you for putting some thought into this. It, those are those are all ways that. I think you can really jump your thank you note or your thank you thought (laughs) to the next level. So the third point that Emiliana Simon Thomas says um, really can help enhance a thank you is to describe how it benefits you. And so that's really talking to someone, not just about that you appreciate the gift, but that it is going to make your life better, whether it's that sweater that's going to keep you so warm this winter or if it was a favor that someone did for you, just how how much of an impact it actually made, but to be specific with it. And I think that that is one of those ways that it helps to paint the picture for the other party for just what a difference this made to your life. So obviously, rather than someone just saying, thanks so much for your help, But wow, thanks so much for your help. It really meant that I could get home to my kids this evening or um, thank you so much for that gift. It's ended up bringing our whole family together on Saturday mornings. You know, I don't don't know what it is that might do that. Um, But I think that really, really showing the impact that it has is that third step that connects the person to the impact that they really did just make on your life by extending either a favor or or a gift uh, your direction. It paints such a vivid picture. And oftentimes we say to ourselves, oh, I'd like to do more or I'd like to sort of paint a more vivid picture. The question of how you do it can feel daunting. I really like this little formula that you're specific about the thing. You acknowledge the effort that the other person put in and then you describe how it benefits you. That's a one, two, three that's actually pretty executable, pretty simple in a lot of ways. And the final point in the article is that it is relatively simple and that it won't take as long to do this in practice as you might imagine. 
Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining me in our gratitude one, two, three postscript section today. I really appreciate you running with this topic because I not only found it interesting, but I found it useful and it made me feel really confident about doing our show today. You're most welcome. <laughs> Did I do it? Did I get it right, Dan? I heard one, two, three. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. Audience, we hope that this helps you make more impactful expressions of gratitude with just a little one, two, three. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear a voicemail from Chuck in New Hampshire. The uh, reason I'm calling is I have a salute. Uh, a week or so ago, I was driving up to uh, go backpacking on the Mahusik Notch, and as I turned off of the road in Berlin and drove through 10 miles of dirty, dusty road, we got to a point where the road was impassable. It was actually closed for repair. And it was only about a 0.1, 0.2 miles from where we had to start the trail. And the crew was working that day. And I apologize because I had previously seen a sign saying the road might be closed at a particular point, And that was the point. And so I got out and I asked if there was a place to I could park and not be in their way and explain the situation. He says, you know, he says, hey, sure, you know, no, no problem. Let me move this boulder out of the way. So the crew went ahead, moved the boulder, drove on, had a successful hike in a weekend, and it was wonderful. So for the crew on the Success Pond Road in Berlin, New Hampshire, up in that area, uh, thanks for making our trip a total success, pun intended. Thank you. Wow, that is a story worthy of us. I mean, that's full on boulder moving to get things through. That's awesome. This feels so familiar. They're doing work on my dirt road right now. <laughs> and I navigate sort of a very um, low traffic dirt road relationship with a road crew almost every day right now. And it is so nice. And a little courtesy goes so far in those environments. Chuck, thank you so much for the salute. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share your podcast. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And if you're like my dog, Sunny, you can also bark your question or comment into us. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And if you like awesome etiquette, please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our show rankings, which helps other people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.